from Miss Joyner. Good evening and welcome to this week's worldwide broadcast of The Joyner Report. Now here's your host, Angela Joyner. It's nice to have you all with me tonight. Welcome to the Joiner Report at WPRNFM New Orleans and at UFO Paranormalradionetwork.com. Be sure to join us in the Pal Talk virtual chat room if you get a chance. We've got uh, oh, 30 or so people in there. It uh, seems like our Pal Talk numbers are falling off a little bit lately, but maybe everybody's just got something to do on Friday night now. Um, tonight. My guest is Debbie Jordan Cobble. She was a central figure in Bud Hopkins' New York Times bestseller, Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods. At that time, she used the pseudonym Kathy Davis to protect her young family. Then in 1992, she revealed her true identity with her sister, Kathy Mitchell. Then they co-authored a book called Abducted, The Story of the Intruders, continues. Uh, Deb's experiences eventually propelled her into the Mutual UFO Network as a field investigator. Her personal experiences have given her an insight into the phenomena not often found in the field. After a break of several years, she found herself back in her role as investigator after the April 16, 2008 event in Kokomo, Indiana, now known as the Kokomo Boom. She's uh, been featured on two national cable broadcasts. She's appeared on the Discovery Channel's Investigation X, the History Channel's UFO Hunters, the Sci-Fi Channel, Unsolved Mysteries, and I'm sure there's um, more shows than that she's been on. Um, in April 2008, she expanded deeper into the paranormal when she joined the team at MRIPA, and that stands for Midwestern Researchers and Investigators of Paranormal Activity. Uh, she's their resident ufologist and EVP specialist, and uh, she brings a unique pers perspective uh, to her work with them as well. Welcome to the show, Deb. It's, it's good to have you. Well, thanks for having me, Angela. <laughs> I hope it sticks <laughs> I know. We tried this once before, and we kept we had uh, Deb on Skype, and uh, we kept uh, losing her. So this time she's on the phone like she was when she was on with Tom Reed a couple of weeks ago. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to pull this one off. <laughs> you know, I met Deb on uh, Facebook, I guess, and um, I really wasn't familiar with her story. But I've talked to her on the phone a few times, and we've uh, exchanged uh, messages, instant uh, on messages on Facebook, whatever you call that. And uh, I just, when I every time I talk to her or, or you know write with her, I just can tell she's a very down to earth person. She is somebody that I could go to her home and sit around her kitchen table and yak. For hours with her. She's just very uh, outgoing and uh, very personable and, and very friendly. But, well, uh, thank you, and you're welcome to come to my house anytime. The coffee pot's <laughs> always on. <laughs> oh, thank you. Same to you here. <laughs> well, um, in case uh, 
uh, some are not familiar, like I wasn't familiar. Uh, you worked quite a lot with uh, Bud Hopkins, and you also worked with David Jacobs. Is that right? Um, I didn't really work with Dave, with Bud, mostly. I met Dave Jacobs. Um, I went to New York a couple of times, and I met Dave through Bud. Uh, you know, they were friends, and Bud introduced me, and, of course, he filled Dave in on what was going on with my family and with me. But uh, And one time... I I can't remember. I was I was in that area for something, and I was whenever I used to go out and talk uh, in public or anything back then. It was with usually with Bud, and and I did it for Bud because he asked me to, and I felt you know obligated to because he'd spent so much time and money um, researching my family and I and helping us. You know, I mean, I wanted to help him as he had helped me, so. I can't right. remember what we, we I can't remember what we were doing, but anyway, Dave Jacobs and his wife uh, opened up their home to me and allowed me to stay there, uh, spend the night there one night instead of uh, having to pay for a hotel room, which was generous of them. And I smoked at the time, so uh, you know they they made me a little spot out on the porch to smoke with, and were real nice about it. So, I mean, they were friendly and personal, but I, I didn't work with them really. I was okay. Uh, well, when you, uh, all these many years ago, when you sent Bud Hopkins a letter, you didn't really expect to get a reply, did you? Oh, oh no. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, when I when I did write him, it kind of uh, out of desperation, and yet in the letter that I wrote to him, I'm more focused on my sister Kathy and her uh, experience in 1965 with the UFO, and then just, you know, it's very, oh, by the way, this happened to me, and I left the mark in the yard, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I gave the letter to my mom, and, and uh, she said she would mail it. Well, years later, she she confessed that she was not going to mail that letter and didn't have any intentions of mailing it. And then when she was out running errands one, that one day, it, she thought about it and she thought you know that's just not right she's trusting me to do that so she did mail it but anyway it was many weeks later and I had really not thought about it too much I mean not not the I thought about what was going on with me but I hadn't really uh, thought about the letter I'd written because I didn't expect to hear from him and I come home one night and mom's like you know that call you wrote that book called I'm like what <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> oh. Well, let's let's go ahead and explain to the listeners what happened to you in June of 1983 that uh, compelled you to write Bud Hopkins. Well, I was living with my parents at the time. I had uh, gotten divorced and had two little kids. I mean, little like, you know, three and four. And um, had moved back home with my parents, and I was uh, at the house that night getting ready to go help a neighbor. So she used to pay me um, money on the cut the patterns out. She made costumes. So I was getting ready to go do that, and I noticed uh, as I was standing at the kitchen sink looking out the window that uh, the light to the pump house was on, and the pump house was sitting next to the swimming pool. The pump house was for the, the filter, filtration pump for the pool, uh-huh. the big underground pool. 
And I thought, that's weird because I was out there earlier, you know, helping. With, I used to help with the pools, vacuum it, put the chlorine in and stuff. And I knew that I had shut it because I had struggled with this rusty slide lock. And it kind of creeped me out a little bit. I continued on. I got in the car and I drove along the side of the house to the back and turned around in a big turnaround that was back there before I I went back out to the street just to kind of have a look. And I saw that the light was off, but but the, the door to the pedestrian door to the garage that was attached to the house was now open, and I knew that was closed because I had closed that. And yet I still went to Deanna's, which was just one street behind the house. And I thought I felt guilty about it, leaving. So when I got over there, I called Mom, and I said, you know, hey, this is what I saw. You want me to come home? She's like, no, don't worry about it. I'll just lock the doors. Daddy was working second shift at the time. He was going to be due home about quarter after 11. And I said, well, I'll be home before that. So mm-hmm. I, hung the phone, I hung the phone up. And because uh, this was like around eight, eight-ish or, or a little bit before, I hung the phone up, and, and as soon as I let go of the receiver, it rang, and I just snatched it right back up again. And, and uh, you know, even though it was Deanna's house, we answered each other's phones all the time. It was no big deal. And um, it was my mom, and she says, I want you to come home right now. And I'm like, this is, my mom doesn't sound like this. She was scared, and I'd never heard that. I'm like, you know, what's wrong? And I, do, I said, what's going on? And, and uh, Deanna's husband heard me, and he yelled over me into the phone, tell her to call the sheriff, that's what we pay him for. And she heard him, and she said, I don't want anyone here but you. She never and upset that I just left. I said, look, I'll go home and see what's going on, and I'll be back, or I'll call you. So I went home. It took like two minutes. And when I got there, pulled up the side of the house and uh, went into, uh, we've had like a patio room. We called it the Florida room off the back of the house. And I went in that door and I walked right to the trash masher where my dad had a rifle and it was not loaded. Then I picked it up. Mom was out there. She's like, that isn't loaded. And I go, well, those people, whoever's out there doesn't know that. I'll beat the shit out of them with it. (laughs) And that's exactly what I said. In retrospect, I am not, I I must say, at that time, I was not a brave person. And whatever possessed me to pick up a gun, which I didn't do either, and walk out in the dark looking for a prowler is totally out of character for me, and yet I did it. Hmm. And... um, yeah, it was kind of weird just in and of itself. But I did it. I went, I walked around the pool. I went to the pump house, didn't see anything. I knew that my dog had been in the garage because I had put her in there. She was in heat. That kept the neighborhood dogs away. So mm-hmm. I knew she had to be out in the yard somewhere. So I went looking for her, and I found her under my dad's ladder truck. And she would not come out. She was scratching at me to get away from me and when I tried to get her to come out. And I'm like, oh, what hell with you? And I went back towards the garage, went into the garage, walked around looking. There was, I distinctly remember two mattresses against the wall. I thought, they're back there behind those mattresses. And I 
the muzzle of the gun around there and said a few choice words, and of course nobody was there. And just about that time, I felt like all of a sudden, I felt like my body was on fire. I mean, just from head to toe, I started feeling like I was burning, like someone just dumped acid on me or something. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm hot. i, I got to get out of here now. Mm-hmm. I remember turning to go out that pedestrian door, and then, boom, something hit me in the chest. And I, at that moment, I thought, oh, my God, I'm dead. You know, in retrospect, I thought maybe I'd been hit by lightning or I didn't know what happened, but it, there was a bright flash of light, and it was so bright that even though my eyes were shut, I could still see it. And it was so bright that it damaged my vision. Like when you your picture taken and you don't blink fast enough and that flash gets in there and then all you see is this big giant white spot. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what it did to my eyes. And um, I, I couldn't move. And I could almost... And I, this is a weird... It's hard to explain, and it, I know it sounds weird, but I could almost feel like every molecule of my body vibrate. And okay. <laughs> It all, it felt like uh, it felt like slow motion, you know, like it was this was going on forever and ever. But I know I couldn't have tolerated it for more than a few seconds. Did the light you knock know. you backwards? I don't remember moving at all. I just remember being. It, it began in my like right where your breastbone is, like where you start to do CPR in that area right there. It started right there, and it just spread to my arms and legs and uh, and to my head, this electric on-fire feeling and this shaking, vibrating feeling. And and all I could see was this bright white, bright white. And like I said, it, it couldn't have lasted more than a few seconds because I just don't see I could have tolerated it. But it seemed like it just went on forever and the world is just in slow motion, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, then it stopped. The vibrating stopped. The burning sensation stopped. But I felt, like, kind of numb and heavy, and I could not move. And I also, the bright white light was gone. But now I can't I can't see where the, where the damn, because my eyes are all flashy, like, you know, like mm-hmm. I had my picture taken. And I'm still in, I don't remember what happened to the gun at that point. I don't know if I'm still holding it or not. Uh there were marks on it later, so it, it, it seemed as if I had dropped it. But um, at some point, I picked it back up. Uh, I remember being in the doorway when the initial shock wore off, and then I felt a tugging behind my shoulder from somebody standing behind me, pulling down on my shoulder on my, my right side, and this burning sensation in my right ear that felt like, Somebody was stabbing me with a hot poker in the ear. And I couldn't scream. I couldn't move. I couldn't get away from it. And I remember hearing somebody say, it's unfortunate that I had to feel pain. And then I I remember I'm out onto the patio. There was like a cement patio out out that back door uh, about uh, 20 feet in front of me out into the yard is this white ball of light about the side of a basketball. And it's a soft white light. It's not blinding. And I can see it, although my vision is still real spotty. I can't, I can make out movement in the backyard, 
but I can't really see the detail of what's moving. Uh, you know, I mean, it looks like kids walking around the yard in the backyard, little kids. But I can't really see any detail because my eyes are fried. And this white ball of light in about 20 feet in front of me, it moves. It's about as high as I am tall. I'm five foot three. And it, it seems like it's about eye height to me. And then it goes down real slow to the ground and then back up again. And I got the distinct feeling that it was eyeballing me. You know what I mean? Did you and feel it had some sort of intelligence to it? I don't know why. Uh, it, I felt like it was looking at me. It was attached to something intelligent. Well, I, I don't know that it, w- it was intelligent, but it, something intelligent was moving it up and down. I just felt as if it were looking at me for some okay. reason. And then it moved. Then it moved towards my left. And when I look to my left, and I still can't really move, but I can move my eyes, I see this thing. It's not what I would think a UFO would look like by any means, and it's not very big. It's not much bigger than the pump house or the swimming pool, but it's shaped like an egg. And I can't tell that it's actually really completely on the ground or not. It kind of seems like it's bobbly or wavy or something, but it's you know, it might be down all the way on the ground, but at this point it doesn't really look like it's all the way down because of the way it's kind of bobbling. But uh, it's one of those kind of things, this terror sweeps over me, like, I don't want to look at it because looking at it invokes this terror inside of me that I can hardly, you know, deal with. And yet, not looking at it does the same thing because I want to know where this thing is in relationship to me at all times. And if it moves any closer to me, I'm going to die. And I'm thinking, don't come any closer to me, please, or I'll die. Mm. Because I'm that terrified. I mean, I've never had anything in my life that made me feel that, this kind of terror. I can't even, it's, there's no words to even describe it. it. It's off the charts. And I see these things moving out around in the yard, and they all seem to line up all at once as if somebody blew a whistle that I couldn't hear. And they all wind up, and they move down at an angle in front of me into this thing. Now, you know, for 30 years now almost, we've always called it a UFO or a craft. But, you know, in retrospect, there's no way that six, even kids, could eat in that thing and move around without being elbows to buttholes and, or doing anything. So, you know, I, I can't say now that, that it is was some kind of craft. I don't know. Well, what, what did it was. look like? It was shaped like an egg, and it was darkish gunmetal-y color, maybe. It was dark outside. My eyes were crummy. All I can tell you is it was darker than uh, the background of the light in the yard. But it had lights around it. These, it had a couple. I could see a couple of these basketball-sized lights about midway up it. It was only seemed to be maybe 8 or 10 feet tall. Like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't much bigger than the pump house of the swimming pool. And that, if you've ever seen the I don't know if they're average, but you know they're not that big. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a maybe like a mini barn, if that can give you some kind of a, a little bit smaller than a typical mini barn or storage yeah. shed that you buy pre-made. Not much bigger than that, only round, egg-ish shaped. You know, bigger at the bottom and kind of pointier at the top. Not pointy, but rounded. And all of the know. creatures went all, inside it. They all went inside that, and in you know. How are you going to fly something like that around? Uh, I don't, 
I don't quite understand how that worked or what that was. All I can mm-hmm. tell you is what I saw. I mean, nobody certainly didn't explain anything to me. Was uh, it on? You know, was it sitting on the ground? It was. It was as close as it could be to the ground, and it may have been sitting on it. I, like I said, I couldn't see good detail, but it kind of moved, and it kind of gave me the impression that it might not have been completely all the way on the ground, kind of like a bobber on a fishing pole. Yes. You know how the little red and white bobber, how they'll lay, they'll sit there pretty still, and all of a sudden, you know, a little curtain or ripple will get it, and it'll kind of bob a little. Uh-huh. That this thing was sitting pretty still, but but it, it had that weird little kind of movement to it every once in a while. It gave me the idea that maybe it wasn't quite all the way on the ground, or at least not all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember thinking, oh my God, my kids are in the house with my mom, you know, and I start freaking out about my babies. And then I, again, hear a voice coming from somewhere. So is this they're standing behind me or something? And they say, your children are, you know, your children are all right. Your children are okay. Somehow that was like a cue. And then I heard my name being called. Well, later I found out, I, I, I wasn't sure where it was coming from. Well, it was my mother who happened to be standing in the in the doorway of the back door and she said that she re- remembered standing there didn't see anything and then remember calling my name well when she when she called my name it was like somebody snapped her fingers and it was as if everything that just happened disappeared i remember being able to move but my head I didn't, my head didn't feel that great but being able to move and walking up to the house, walking walking up the bottom patio and up the steps to the top porch where mom was standing in the doorway, and she says, "Is everything okay?" And I said, "It's cool, everything's cool." Mm-hmm. And as I'm walking up there, it's like with every step I take, whatever just happened is going farther and farther out of my mind. But in its place. I'm feeling an overpowering urge to get wet. Go, go figure. I, I I don't have a clue. But I just know I no longer want to go so. I need to get wet. I feel hot. I feel gross. I feel sticky and grody. And we got this great pool. And it's almost July. And so I go back to Deanna's house and I say, how about we go swimming? And she's like, um, Okay. Nobody has said a word to me about how long I was gone at this point. Uh, so Deanna now, in, and the book, back, in your book that you sent me, I thought they were angry with you because you said you would call and you didn't. They, they got angry with me after the fact. Oh, okay. They didn't, they didn't say, when I got over there and I said, how about let's go swimming, they're like, you know, okay, we'll go swimming. Uh, they were... I, I didn't even realize how long I'd been gone. And she didn't really mention a whole lot to me about it at that point. We went and we went back to mom's house and we started, we decided to go swimming and we walked across the backyard and her daughter steps on something in the yard. Well, this area in the yard between the house and the pool is where all this took place. We didn't see anything. But you didn't recall it at that time. I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't even recall 
all, you know, the light and the movement and the hitting in the chest. I didn't, at that point, that was gone, blocked out of my mind. Okay. Completely. Now, mind you, this, this stuff did not, and I also want to make it clear, when I did remember this part, it came back to me a few days later, and I'll tell you when that happened, but that had nothing to, hypnosis didn't bring this out. I okay. remember this part naturally on my own. As a matter of fact, that night, I still only remember about 15 minutes of uh, maybe an hour or so, hour and a half maybe, something like that. I don't remember hardly anything about that night. I did have one hypnosis session with Bud after that. You know, it, it was maybe a year or so later after that, and I did remember this small part of something, but... This stuff that I'm telling you right now, this whole thing that just happened, I, that all came back to me pretty much naturally. And so anyway, you were, were walking along to go get in the pool, and the little girl stopped and said, what? She's like, ow. You know, she thought, you know, her she stepped on something or her foot burned. I can't remember how that went, but uh, something about her foot. And then she said it was feeling numb, where her foot and then her leg. Well, we couldn't, we didn't see anything, so we get in the pool, and we're probably not in there maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes maybe, and all of us start feeling sick, uh, not kind of queasy, and I notice, for me, you know how when you get your head underwater and you open your eyes and the chlorine and you do that enough, when you come out, you like, there's like halos around all the lights. Right. When you... You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Well, I started doing that, and my eyes started burning really bad, but I didn't um, get my head wet or open my eyes in the water. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's been almost 30 years ago, and I haven't looked at the book. I haven't looked at my journal notes, but I'm thinking we might have gone... We may have gone out, we may have given up on swimming and decided to go get something to eat and then all felt crappy and gave up and went home. And then the next morning when I woke up, my eyes were swelled shut. I mean, they were swelled shut and I was in agonizing pain. Well, of course, I couldn't see to drive or anything, so my mother took me to the emergency room. Right. And while we were there, the doctors in the emergency room, didn't they didn't really have... Apparently, there was an eye specialist, an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor that uh, was across the street from the emergency room, and they uh, either he was in the emergency room or they called him. I can't remember how that, which way that went, but it ended up they wanted me to go to his office across the street because he had the equipment there to be able to examine my eyes uh, more, you know, closely. So my mom took me across the street to this guy. They, they worked me in his schedule. Uh, and when I got in there, he asked me if I had been around a welder uh, or looked into the arc of a welder's torture, you know. I'm like, yeah, no. Why would I do that, you know? So uh, my eyes were burned, and I had several drops and a tube of cream, and it was several weeks of using these drops, uh, at least some of them, 
uh, I was using medicine in my eyes every day of some kind for uh, like two weeks. And um, after that, they were never quite right. Uh, I became really farsighted, and now I wear glasses, and I have trifocals. When I was uh, 39, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, the drusen, I think they call it, around your macular, macular nerve. And incidentally, my older sister has macular degeneration in her eyes, and she had an experience, you know, back in 65. But um, hers is a different kind than mine. Mm-hmm. And um, But before that, so, your vision was fine. You didn't wear glasses that, or contacts? No. Or uh, no. No. Um, and now and you have eye, an eye disease? I have, um, well, I have the precursor to macular degeneration. I have the, the deposits around the nerve, the, op, the optic nerve. I can't remember. I think they call them drusen or dredsen or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I have pressure high in one eye, and um, they have me on 20 milligrams of lutein. There's really no treatment for it, but they have me on the lutein, and um, I'm supposed to keep my eyes, you know, wear these uh, sunglasses when I go outside and stuff like that. Are and, your and eyes still, still light sensitive? Yes, they are. They are light sensitive, and occasionally they'll just start burning and watering really bad for no reason at all, and then, you know, this may last an hour, and then it stops. Um, and uh, so I had that when I woke up the next morning. That was an, an immediate issue I had to deal with. I also had um, anxiety that I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And the dog that had been outside in the backyard that night when she'd come out of the garage, she'd been out around that stuff somehow or another. Um, within a couple of months, she had to be put to sleep because from from the, the get-go, she started acting funny, and her hair fell out. She looked kind of like a mangy dog, except all her hair fell out everywhere, even places that she couldn't chew or rub. And mm. she got these big black spots all over her back that started festering, and her eyes got all white over them like cataract looking, you know. Aww. Her teeth started falling out as she ate. And her gums were bleeding. And it, you know, she was ate up. And we finally the vet put her to sleep. And, you know, she was a dog. Would that lady. be like um, radiation poisoning? I don't know. That's what it looks like, you know. It, it, and at the time, we're not, we're not really thinking that. Uh, even... I'm thinking, I'm just having in my mind, this has been a, this was a couple months out, and this is when I've already remembered what I just told you about that night, and I, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if this has any connection, but you know, how, how are you gonna know? Right. I mean, so I still always, even to this day, I worry that someday, somewhere down some stuff come up, that this stuff might have caused, you know what I mean? It's always going to be a worry for me. In the back you of might mind. get cancer. Yeah. But, well, uh, um, I think that's a normal worry, but anyway, um, so you, you got the treatment for, for your eyes, and you had this anxiety that 
that you couldn't explain where it was coming from because at this time you have no memory of what happened the not, next day. Not really, no. I knew something weird about that night but couldn't, couldn't put my finger on it. Well, no. A few days later, now this was the 30th of June, nobody in the house, even someone who looked out the backyard or the back windows for, for a couple days, which is unusual, uh, and the family came over to go swimming, and we always do a Fourth of July thing, you know, always did that, because we had the pool over there at Mom and Dad's. And so they all come in the house, they go through the back, the, my nephew runs outside headed toward the pool, and he comes back in, he goes like, Grandma, what is wrong with your backyard? She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, he said, come out here and look at this. So we all went outside, and there was that mark. It was about eight feet in diameter, a circle of dark brown grass. It just laid down, and it was just dark brown, just just totally dry. There was like a 49-foot swath path that came off one side of this, and it ended in a perfect arc. And um, there were... There was nothing in this. The dirt in it was just rock hard, and there were a couple of big cracks on the edge of the circle towards the house. And my mom, first thing my mom says, oh, that's where our UFO landed. And, and you know, I looked over her and I thought, are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, I looked over her and I thought, what is wrong with you? And I looked at that mark in the yard, and boom. It was like an epiphany, or it was like, a, you know, a smack in the face. And the all I could see when I looked at that mark in the yard was that two big black eyes looking back at me. And I almost just, it took my breath away. I almost passed out. I could feel my pulse racing, and I thought, oh, my God, I hope no one else sees this. I mean, nobody else, I hope nobody sees how I'm reacting, you know what I mean? Did you and feel embarrassed? I, I was mortified and shocked, at, and I just felt all kinds of emotions. I felt anxiety, fear, that terror came back again, and everything. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And in, in my mind, I'm thinking this, right? And, and, I'm, and then I realize I probably look crazier than mom right now. You know, because at least she's laughing. Well, and she of. said it very nonchalantly. That's where yeah. the UFO landed. Oh, well, that's where the and I'm like, where did that come from? And this brought so, it all back to you. And snap! It, it, from that moment on, it was like somebody pulled their finger out of a floodgate because it just kept coming. And that I, I, I'm telling you, I really believe that first year. I had a nervous breakdown or something. I mean, I I sat up all night long and just sometimes I would just sit in my kids' room and watch them sleep because I felt like I was waiting for something. And I don't know what. Uh, the bathroom, upstairs bathroom window overlooks that mark in the yard in that area. I couldn't go to the bathroom in there at night and get near that window for months. My goodness. No, I mean, I felt like I was going insane. No. 
I, I actually ended up spending like, see, I was doing, I, I wasn't working at the time. I was making those costumes with my neighbor, and that's how I was making money to help support us or mm-hmm. my mom and dad, you know. I didn't have a job job, and I didn't for months. I mean, thank God for my parents. I, They're both gone now, and I hope I adequately thank them over the years because I, I don't know what would have happened without them. Basically, my mom took over with my kids, and I, like I said, I just came apart at the seams. I would, I, I'd be in my nightgown for, you know, a week at a time. I couldn't function, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I started going to the emergency room because I started having what I thought were heart attacks, and they were panic attacks. And I developed these irregular heartbeats, and it was so bad. And they, I had one of those whole, uh, whole monitors for 24 hours, and they put me on uh, Inderol to try to slow my heartbeat down and regulate it. Um, I started developing rashes all over my body and just weird spots. Uh, for no reason, I'd get, I'd start having spells of, you know, diarrhea that would last for days. Um, I had started developing allergic reactions to stuff that I never used to be allergic to before. And um, my hair got thin, but it didn't fall out like the dogs. But it, it thinned out and straightened out because it used to be curlier. And um, that's when the gray started coming in. And my fingernails and toenails all started getting, you know how sometimes you get the, the up and down lines on? Well, I was getting the, the cross lines, like rumple strips on at the bases of my fingernails. They looked unhealthy. I looked unhealthy. Uh, you know, I, I was sick all the time. I had no immune system. Every time a bug came through, uh, I got pneumonia twice that year. I mean, I just came apart at the seams. It, 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 I, I, you know, and I had, I was beginning to realize, I was beginning to remember what, you know, pieces of what I told you. And I knew something had happened. And, I, and then I started remembering stuff that I had forgotten about. Like back in the 70s, when I first got married, I had had a dream that these two little gray, uh, big-headed, big-eyed, black-eyed guys came in my room when I was first married to my husband, came in our bedroom. I tried to wake him up, and he, he would not wake up. They came towards the bed, and I remember thinking, please don't come any closer, because if you do, I will freak out. Please okay. don't. You know, another terror thing. And that's when I remembered him handing me this box, this black box with a red light on it, said, I'm like, what is this? You know, he just kind of set it down on my lap, and and he said, you'll know what it's for when you see it again. You'll remember it. Well, hell, I don't, still don't know what it was for. So. And I thought, I told my husband about the dream the next day. He's like, dude, you, what did you eat for dinner? You know? <laughs> Well, and I got the same freaked out thing in that in the, in in the 70s there where that happened in the house that happened at they were in town and you know the houses were so close together you could practically open your window and stick your hand out and touch the other guy's window. Uh-huh. Well, the house the house next to us was abandoned. And that big old kitchen window from my house faced the big old kitchen window of this abandoned house. I could not bring myself to go in the kitchen at night after the sun went down and go near that window after I had that dream. What happened to the box? 
I don't know. They took it. They took it back from me, and they disappeared. Uh, I mean, they they slid back away from me, like not even walking, just kind of slid back, got all shiny, and turned into light, and then poof, like a flashbulb, and they were gone. Did it seem like the box had a lid to it, like it was something you could open? No, it was just a black, about the size and shape of a shoebox, and it was all black, smooth, and there was like a red, it was like a red light on the top, a red circle, but it was just like a hole, or you know, like a flat, mm -hmm. like a red light, and I looked into it, but, you know, I... I don't remember. I don't remember what it was for. I don't remember if I ever saw it again. I don't. I don't recall seeing it again. But I don't know. Now, I thought it was a bad dream. The uh, circle with the forty-nine foot swath attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, how long did that remain that way in your mom's yard? That stayed there. Um, pretty much intact for that first year. Snow melted off of it for the first year, and it was the weirdest thing because we'd get like a half an inch of snow or something, and immediately it, it was like it, this, the, the moisture and the snow on this area would just be gone, and you could see it. And I've got pictures of it. You've, you've seen the pictures. Um, it took probably four or five years total for it to completely, as I say, heal. And it and it came it healed like a wound, you know, from the outside in. The outside edges eventually grew in. The grass that did finally grow in in that area was darker, well, almost a purple green. It was so dark, and it was thicker and hardier looking than the rest of the yard. Um, I did. I, I have a picture of a, a dandelion that was taken. Uh, there were several dandelions that come up in the yard near the area, and they were three times the size of a normal one. And I took a, it's a bad picture, but you can see it. So I had a crummy camera, but then we had, uh, mom had planted tomatoes out by the swimming pool. So it was a little, you know, a bit away from, I wasn't right next to the mark in the yard, but it was in that area back in there in the backyard. The tomatoes that came off of that plants those year that year, they were the size of like grapefruits, but you couldn't eat them because when you bite into them, they were so acidy that it would burn your lips and your skin would peel off. God. And the vines were as big around as my wrists. Well, after so you first found the the uh, the circle spot, what mm -hmm. color was the grass and the ground, and how large were the cracks around it? Well, the grass was brownish uh, tan, just real dry, and uh, inside the mark, almost grayish tan, you know, and the dirt was kind of a grayish color. Like, uh, And the cracks, there was one crack, we tried to measure how deep they were, and I had a 12-foot ruler, you know, like you get from right. school, yeah. and I tried to stick it down in the hole. And to see how deep the crack went, and I dropped it on accident, and it disappeared. <laughs> you couldn't even see it. Well, that was pretty deep. <laughs> that, that's pretty deep. Yeah, it is. And I, um, I, uh, I tried to do. I, I mean, 
I called the agricultural agent for the state of Indiana, and I tried to learn about, you know, uh, fairy rings and fungus and mold, because there was, in the center of this, there was a little, like, some kind of a white goo. But when we when we kind of tried to dig a chunk of it, I, I'm not I'm not a skinny girl, and I'm I was a lot heftier then than I am now, and I got a spade, and I tried to I thought okay I'm gonna dig some of this stuff up and send it around you know see if they mm-hmm. can figure out what's in there. I jumped on that spade thinking I was gonna <laughs> just you know go in the dirt and dig me up a hunk. I'll tell you what I about broke my neck. <laughs> Because it was like jumping on the spade on a cement driveway. So <laughs> it looked it, like it was gooey, but it wasn't. It was no. There was there was a tiny little area within the center that was this kind of white stuff. And I thought that's got to be fungus or mold or something. It's got to be. We even called the gas company and asked them uh, to come out and take a look at the area and see if you know it had something to do with that. Um, the uh, power company came out, interestingly enough, uh, I think it was shortly after this happened, the transformer back there blew up. And uh, the power company came out, and when they came out to replace the transformer, they discovered that a lot of the wires had been melted inside the insulation. They'd melted hmm. together. This was wiring that the transformer was on a pole out by the swimming pool, and, it, and the wiring ran to the house. It brought power to the house. Also, my dad was a ham radio operator, and his 100-foot tower was outright by this area here. And um, something had come through the the wires that ran from the tower to the radios and uh, messed that up, too, and messed up the um, the tubes in the radio. Well, so, um, you, you did, Bud eventually came to your home and tested the soil, didn't he? Yeah, once um, I uh, I uh, went to the library and got that book that Hay wrote, Missing Time, in the back of it was a place she could write him, and then I sent the letter. Well, Mom sent the letter. He called me. And you talked. just picked up that book by happenstance? Well, I, I used to go to the library a lot because it was free, and I could take my kids there, and they liked to, we rent the videotapes, back then it was VHS tapes, and uh story time and all that, and I would pick up books about all kinds of subjects, and we've talked about UFOs before in my family, because my sister has that encounter that she always talked about. When I picked up Missing Time, though, I actually thought it was about, uh, I've been getting crime dramas and, um, you know, stuff like about Dillinger and things like that, and I kind of, when I, I kind of thought it was about people being kidnapped, but not by aliens. So I got to flipping through it, and I realized what it was. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this might be interesting. Then I started trying to read it, and uh, I got panic attacks. I, I couldn't even read more than a chapter or two at a time, and my mom finally was like, you need to take that book back to the library. <laughs> but um, So I took it back, but then when I started to remember all the Stuff started coming back about what had happened. I went back, got the book, got the address, wrote the letter. Uh, I can't remember. I think I went to New York first, which is a giant leap of faith for me because I, 
you know, even my mom said, you don't know. She 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 said, yeah, you you don't know this person. You're just going to drive, go, you know, all the way to New York City. I've never been anywhere in my life. I was 23 years old. I, I remember reading that. I remember reading that you sold your washer and dryer so you'd have money to go. I did. I had an apartment-sized washer and dryer, and when I moved back with my parents, I had it in storage. And so to get the money to get the bus ticket to go to New York and meet him, to figure, try to figure this all out, uh, I sold my washer and dryer to get this ticket. And uh, while well, he had me going to meet this doctor lady in New York City, this psychiatrist named Dr. Kumar, who would help me. Well, I need help because I'm jacked up. And maybe this guy can help me because I, you know, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And apparently he's heard it before. So, um, yeah, I went and I was terrified. So you have to know me back then. I'm not so much like that now, but back then I was so afraid of getting lost. I, I don't mm. know. And I think it stems from an incident that happened when I was a kid, like maybe six or seven, and I actually was lost for like a day. And again, it was surrounding weird circumstances and weird people, you know. So it, maybe it came from that. I don't know. But, was, but So it was, really but, wasn't normal for you to take off on your own like that. But you oh, were so desperate. Hell no. So, I was dead. So sick. I was desperate, and I thought maybe this guy could help. And, yeah, it, it was way out of – I'd never been anywhere except Kentucky, the Rough River State Park. I mean, in Florida with my parents when we were kids. I wasn't – I am just. A, I was just a girl from the sticks, you know. Mm-hmm. New York City was a big, scary place, and that's how desperate I was. And I remember getting on the bus and riding there and on the trip there, I was thinking to myself, what in the hell is wrong with you? Why, you know, why, what am I doing this for? This guy could be a flaming fruitcake nut job axe murderer. And here I am riding the bus right to his porch, you know. But by then it was too late. I'm already on the bus and halfway there. But, uh. And you know what? When I left there, when I left New York, I think I was in more shape than when I got there because now I had a hundred thousand million more questions. But uh, because after but, you talked to him, you realized that you weren't the only one; that other people had had similar Seriously, experiences. He showed me a drawing that a gal because I had done I had drawn the an image of what I'd remember these things look like, right? Mm-hmm. He showed me a drawing of a woman, I think she was in North or South Carolina, and I think her name was McBride. Anyway, he showed me a drawing that this woman had made, and I swear to God, when I first saw that drawing, I thought, how did you get my picture? I I thought it was mine. It looked so much like the picture that I'd drawn, and I, I looked around and went, wait a minute, that's not mine. And, you know, I hadn't been exposed to stuff like that. And this was back in 1983, you know. Mm-hmm. It ain't like it is now where you can go to Kmart or Walmart and buy a lunchbox with an alien head on it or, or wear a T-shirt with an alien on it and be cool. You didn't see that around there. And you didn't see it like that, you know. Right. And I thought, what? I thought, what? And, and 
when I it realized that it wasn't my drawing, that someone else had drawn this and had said they had seen this, I literally physically puked. You puked? I had to go and puke. I mean, it twisted my gut so hard to see this. And it's like this woman had to get in my head to see this. Because I never told anybody about this. And, and this woman lived in North Carolina or South Carolina. I never met her in my life. How could she get in my same thing that I saw? And, how, and, and this ain't supposed to exist. And now is this woman seeing what I'm seeing and, and everybody telling us this, does, this isn't real, this doesn't exist? How, how, how is this possible? And I mean... You know, Bud was thinking, I think Bud was thinking, okay, I get, if I get some confirmation, you know, it will make me feel better. Like, look, I'm not crazy. Other people are seeing it. But no, you know what it did? It made it, it, it made it more real than I was, I was trying to make it not real. And, mm-hmm. and I'm all, you know, trying to say it's a dream. And that's how I live with it. it this was trying to make it real and I didn't want it. <laughs> you didn't want it to be real. I didn't want it to be real because I gotta live here and I got kids to raise and I gotta be sane and I can't be going crazy because I got to do. <laughs> you know, I gotta raise kids and I can't. I just couldn't. I didn't want to deal with it. This, right. But but I needed help because I was not even able to function. I was in what they call the emergency room of this whole phenomenon. I was completely fried. Thank God. Your parents must have been so worried about you. You know, they were. And I know they were, especially in in my kids, too. And and thank God for my parents. And they uh, were um, really supportive. I mean, Mom, the the week after that work in the yard, she turned around to me one day in the kitchen. She goes, you know what? I just remember why I called you that night. I go, what? She's like, I just remember why I called you to come home that night. You know, that night. I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm thinking, do I want to hear this or not? I mean, this woman just said, oh, that's where you're up with Anyway, she goes, you know, I was standing here in the kitchen, and I saw this ball of light surrounding the bird feeder out there, the bird feeder out, right by where that mark in the yard was. She goes, I saw this ball of light surrounding the bird feeder, and I thought, hmm. Is that somebody with a flashlight shining their flashlight on my bird feeder? And she said, I, I, I kind of tried to lean over and see if I could see somebody over to the side of the house, but I didn't see no beam or nothing. And she goes, well, I kept looking at that light. And she says, it got smaller and smaller and smaller. She was a real soft white light. She was in, and, and, and the smaller it got, the more I thought about you. And then when it she said, just, it just disappeared. And she goes, and that's when I thought, I've got to call you. You need to come home right now. And I'm like, uh, okay, Mom, thanks. <laughs> if she had, so if she you had, had seen that, a, a ball of the sphere, yeah. but she had too. And on that note, it's time for us to, to uh, take a break. We're going to take about a 10-minute break here, and then we'll be back with the second half of the Joiner Report. So stay tuned for more of... Debbie Jordan Cobble's story. It's really interesting.
Welcome to this week's worldwide broadcast of The Joyner Report. Now here's your host, Angela Joyner. Right, welcome back to the second half of the Joyner Report at WPRNFM New Orleans and at UFOParanormalRadioNetwork.com. Tonight's guest is Debbie Jordan Cobble. She has uh, been keeping us on the edge of our seats for the first half. I'm sure it's going to be like that for the second half. She's a quite well-known abductee. She has a book. Um, my husband thinks it's very funny to distract me. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Mine would be, too, if he wasn't in bed asleep already. Golly, he's driving me crazy tonight. He's ADHD or something. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, she has a book, uh, Abducted, the Story of the Intruders Continues. And, Deb, can you tell the listeners where they can get a copy of your book? Well, it's been out of print for a long time. So you might be able to find a copy of it on uh, eBay or or Amazon, uh, but uh, the company that published it has they they went bankrupt a long time ago, and and it has been out of print for a long time. You might be able to find a copy at the library. Um, right. I know they had one at the library here for a while. So. But, and uh, do you you have a website, right? Yes, you can go uh, to uh, com slash Deb's Home. And uh, I do an audio blog, although I haven't done one lately. I'm bad. i got to get busy. And I've been working so much overtime. <laughs> and uh, just to keep in touch with a lot of people I've met over the years who, you know, were uh, kind enough to ask about how we were doing and, so I kind of like, you know, keep up there and let people know how we're doing. We've been, I've been very fortunate that I have had um, support throughout all of this from my family and friends and neighbors and coworkers and everyone. And I realize, believe me, I, I know most people that have seen and experienced some of these things don't have that kind of support. So um, I... One of the reasons that uh, I decided to, my, to write this book that my sister and I put together, it was it was twofold. It was a, a, a kind of therapeutic for us, and I had been keeping a journal of things uh, daily. So most of the stuff that I was putting in, that I put in the book actually came from my journal entries, and um, uh, so you know it was therapeutic for me to do that because. When I was having this nervous breakdown, coming apart at the scenes thing, uh, I did seek counseling, and um, I, I remember being in, in a group session one time, and some one of the other people was sitting there crying uh, because his wife left him, and he was just you know all hysterical over it, and that's a terrible thing, but I wasn't feeling it at the time, and I I, I kind of snapped on him all crazy like and and stood up in the middle of the session and said, do you feel anxious? you feel afraid? You don't have a clue. And the oh. therapist came after me, and, uh, you know, he's like, what is going on? Can you talk to me? 
So, I mean, like, I did go to counseling, and I did, and I went for years, and then um, actually we still see somebody, you know, because life has a way of yanking your chain sometimes. I agree. Not, par- not paranormal, even, you know. I mean, not, you know, my husband well, died and stuff. So. Yeah, <laughs> I know that was a traumatic experience for you. Um mm-hmm. When did you first realize that you had been abducted? Well, actually, that night in the June 30, 1983 incident to, to me was the, the, I don't know, the, uh, sometimes I say that night I died and the, the, the new me was reborn and I was raw and wild and crazy in the beginning, but I've come through it all and gotten strong and, and pretty good. I'm in a good place now. But um, I think it was that incident that kind of like, once again, pulled the, the plug out of the hole of the dam, and it all started coming back. And um, I started to remember incidences that happened to me when I was a kid, you know, and younger. And then just over a period of time... As these memories came back, uh, I just sort of put two and two together. It just all made sense, if you can figure that out. (laughs) 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 That didn't make sense, that statement, but, yeah, it made sense. It all kind of dovetailed. Things that hadn't made sense in the past suddenly became clear. Oh, okay, well, if this stuff really happens, then that you know. Well, when do you first remember uh, being on a craft? You know, that's funny. The, I, I don't. I remember being in something different, in a different place, but I don't think I actually have any conscious memory of going on a craft, like walking up to the door and walking in. I'm in my room or in my car, and then I'm there somewhere else. You know what I mean? Well, you sure. have said... I assume you, I'm on a craft because, you, you, uh, yeah. You had said when you were on the show that we did with Tom Reed a couple of weeks ago that mm-hmm. some of the things that he described on the inside of a craft were familiar to you. Right. On the inside of... I was on the inside of somewhere. Uh, and so you're I'm assuming, assuming it's a craft. I'm assuming it's a craft. It could be another dimension. I don't know. Uh, I'm, but I'm assuming it's a craft. Tom has apparently got memories of actually seeing and going on. I don't know. But uh, I do share uh, memories. And some of them are kind of, it's kind of weird because there's so much alike. And he's not the only one. Over the years I've met, several people from all different walks of life and all different parts of the world that have these memories, the marks, the, the uh, oh, what do you call them, the, the symbols, mm-hmm. the shapes were similar. The fact that he described this walls as being like dark, like black. Right. And, uh, yeah, and I, I had, I distinctly remember that, Wherever I was, in some 
at one point there was I was in a place where the walls were dark and the symbols that I saw on them were white. And that's how I made them. When I made these collages of these symbols because I wanted something concrete to see and touch, so I got cardboard and I cut them out and pasted them and stuff. That's how I did it, black on white. And uh, I saw that in the pictures in your book. Uh Yeah. Well, so when uh, you when you go to this place, whether it's another dimension or it's an it's a craft, whatever it is. Do you go back to the same place every time, or does it always look different? Well, I've had different different memories of different places. Um, I remember in uh, one or dreams, memory, however you want to put it. Um, the when I was this was when I was a kid, young, and the room that I remember being in. This is actually interesting because I do remember walking into a house that looked like a house that I was supposed to be in, but yet when I went into the open door, uh, everything was a jumble inside, you know, like lamps sitting on top of the couch and, you know, pictures on the ceiling. Just, I mean, everything was a jumble and not where it should be, but yet it was the right stuff. It just wasn't in the right place. Right place. Okay. Yeah, and, but then when I went into a, a room adjacent to this uh, living room entryway or whatever with this little boy who was appeared to be about my age, which I was, I'm thinking would be about seven, six, six or seven, when I got into the room with him, the room was all white and it didn't appear to have uh, corners you know, like a, you know, right angle corners. I don't even remember really seeing, uh, differentiating between the floor and the wall and the ceiling, which is all white. But there was an, a, a, like a lower part in the center that I actually in, at one point sat in. And I also remember seeing a red light on the wall kind of a small, like a LED light flashing, and at one point, what looked like a clean, you know, illuminated wall, just like a table slid out from it when this light was flashing, and um, I didn't see any light source in this room, it just, like, everything was lit, like, like the the walls glowed or something, you know? Right. Um. And then, uh, then there's the black, the black room. You know, the black, that time that I was in that, like the walls were black and there was like a screen in front of me. I thought at first I was looking through a window because what I saw looked like it was in 3D and it was moving as if it was in three dimensions and I thought it was alive at first or some kind of an animal. But as it moved and turned, I realized that it was just uh, like geometric shapes with points of light connected by by lines. And uh, it was more like a TV screen of some kind than a window, but yet it seemed like I could go into it. You know what I mean? That's hard to describe because I don't have anything like that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It is hard to describe. Um, uh, are you still being taken? No. I mean, I haven't had any dreams or memories uh, of anything 
for a long time. No. And you tell know, us. After my, tell us. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say after my husband passed away, um, it was like right, right before that. It's just like everything kind of stopped. And, uh. When he died, everything kind of stopped? Well, it, right, uh, um, more like between the time I had my hysterectomy and he passed away. And it just didn't. I mean, I'd see a light in the sky once in a while. Um, we had some a little bit of paranormal activity, what would be considered paranormal activity in the house and, and uh, at some friend's house shortly after he passed away. And then it kind of just kind of drifted off to... Uh, it, I How long ago doing, was that? Um, that was 1993. Well... Away. Everyone's uh, familiar, I mean, a lot of people in this chat room are familiar with your story, and um, and they know that you um, had a hybrid child, and so do you think the hysterectomy is the reason that they quit taking you? I don't know. It's curious that that happened, uh, and then this whole thing kind of went, you know, south quickly. Uh, even when I went to, when I went to New York, um, the first couple of times that I went, I was, uh, the, I don't know how Bud managed to get people to volunteer or donate money to, to run some tests on me. I had, uh, verbal and, and written psychological testing. I had, uh, EEG and I had a, uh, like a CAT scan with contrast dye to make sure I had brain tumors or any of that stuff. And I you did a voice stress? Yeah, I did a voice stress test. Uh, that did that once I got back home. He set it up with somebody in Indianapolis. That I think it was like a retired police officer or something. And I packed all that. And the guys at the psychi- uh, the, at the hospital that did the testing, I was telling them, you know, if there's something wrong with me, just tell me. That's fine. If this is a disease or a mental illness, okay? I mean, good. Just give me a pill and make it go away. And even if it's, um, you know, even after... I got to a point where I had the hysterectomy and, and, uh, you know, things just started to slow down significantly till, till nothing. It made me wonder if that was part of it. And then, and then the part of me thought, hmm, I wonder if, you know, my ovaries were making some crazy hormone in my brain that made me have all these weird thoughts and dreams or whatever. You know what I mean? But what does your I, gut tell you? You don't know. Well, my gut tells me I know what I saw. And I, you know, I I know what I saw, and I know uh, what happened that night in '83. I know what other people have told me that we we found independent witnesses to that night. Uh, we've got independent witnesses to other things that happened to me when I was younger. Um, we can't all be affected by my hormones. That's right. <laughs> my hormones couldn't make that mark in the yard. And as far as being pregnant goes. That's always been the sticky point, and I didn't want to tell anybody about it in the beginning, and I don't know why I even mentioned it to Bud, but I will always say I got pregnant by my husband or my fiancé at the time. Uh And um, then I had a crazy dream that I called a crazy dream that my baby was gone. I mean, when I first woke up, it was kind of like, these weird dreams that I have, they're very vivid, 
and 3D realistic color. And the more awake I am, the more I remember, as opposed to a normal dream, which when I wake up, I know I had a dream, sort of bits and pieces. An hour later, I can't even remember what the hell it was. You know what I mean? That's and what so if different. it's an abduction, you, you remember it all through the day. As the, as the longer I'm awake, the more I remember of what I quote-unquote dreamed. Okay. So when I, was, I found out I was pregnant, I wasn't married yet, and I was 17, so believe me, just trust me, if you'd have met my old man, you'd have known. You don't tell him you're knocked up unless you're sure, because you don't want to deal with that. Well, did you go but to the I, doctor and have it confirmed? Yes. I, my mom okay. took me. Um, my mother took me to the doctor, because I went to my mother and I told her, uh, Charlie and I were going to get married anyway, but we bumped it up, because I didn't want to be, like, huge going down the aisle, because it was in the 70s, you know. This was um, 70, 78. Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah, it was a di- way different. And, um, yes, Mom took me to the doctor. They gave me a physical. Um, they gave me the urine test and the blood test. And I was pregnant. The doctor said I was pregnant. He even thought I felt farther along than what I thought I was. But, you know, I knew when I'd had sex, so I was going by that. And... Um, then I uh, had gotten accustomed to the thought of being pregnant, and we'd moved the wedding date up and everything. And then I babysat for my sister one night on a weekend night, or a Saturday night, because I was watching I was watching Bob Newhart on TV. I remember this is you know when 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 important things happen in your life, you remember that you do yeah. like, seriously. Like I remember I when the show, what I was doing when the shuttle crashed, you know what I mean, or exploded. That night, I remember laying on my sister's couch with my back to the TV, facing the back of the couch. Front door was open because again, this was a different time and where we lived, you could do that. And I remember hearing the theme song of the Bob Newhart show. I'm like, oh, I need to roll over because I want to watch this. Oh, I'm tired. And I feel this stroking sensation down my spine. And I'm like, oops, that's... And then no sooner did it make me feel creepy than it made me feel sleepy. And I just kind of drifted away. Well, when I woke up the next morning, I was in my niece's bed, my little niece. And uh, I don't remember how I got there. You know, I don't remember my sister and brother-in-law coming home. Uh, but clearly they did. And um, when the, upon awakening, my immediate thought was, oh, my God, my baby. Oh. And I, I was freaked out. I was freaked out. And I went to the bathroom, checking everything. and everything Did you have any good. blood or anything? No. No, everything was normal. But I couldn't shake this feeling that there was my, something wrong. Something was wrong, and it had to do with my baby. And... Uh, I even called it her, she. I uh-huh. just knew it was a she. Anyway, so I can't shake this feeling, although clearly everything looks fine. Uh, and I still don't understand, you know, what how I got from the couch to Lisa's bed. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I tell my best friend, she's like, I'm going to Planned Parenthood to get my pills, come with me. Um, we'll get another pregnancy test. You'll... you'll Everything will be okay, and then you'll calm down, because I'm still freaking out. I didn't really know what to tell anybody, you know? And so right. um, 
because I'm still not remembering much. And uh, so we go, do the urine test, and um, the lady comes back and she says, listen, your pregnancy test was negative, but if you haven't started your period in a week, we, we advise you to, to see your family physician. Oh, she got to the point where your pregnancy test was negative, and I just went freaky. I was, I was like, frozen. I couldn't talk. I couldn't move. My girlfriend's like, oh, shit. <laughs> she grabs my arm, takes me, puts me in the car. I am crying and pounding on the, the dashboard, you know, and, and I'm screaming, I want, I, where is my, where is my baby, you know. She's like, dude, you, she goes, you need to calm down. I cannot take you home like this, you know. So we, I, I went back home, told my mom, like, I think I'm spotting and I need to go to the doctor. Something's wrong. And I'm, you know, clearly upset. So my mom calls and makes a doctor appointment. We go to the doctor. He gives me another physical exam, you know, and pregnancy test, negative. He takes me and my mom back into the room. He says, come in here and sit down and we'll talk. He said to me, uh, you're not pregnant. Sometimes these things happen. We see this. And my mom's like, what? And, you know, my mom's like, do she need a DNC? Because, you know that's what right. I do. And uh, he's like, no, I don't see it. I don't see a need for that at this time. And he, he looked at me, the last thing he said to me, and I'm, I'm kind of upset. But he says, look, you're young. You'll have other children. I, I think the best thing would be for you to just forget this ever happened. And I looked at him and I said, hmm. I will never forget this as long as I live. You know, it was never right. talked about again. We never talked of it again in my family. Um, and I, I, I started having uh, dreams of her. And, uh, and then um, the whole thing in the, the backyard happened in 83. Right. And uh, like I said, pulled the plug out of the dam and everything started flowing again. And because the pregnancy back. was before the '83 event. Yes, this okay. was several. This was this was in uh, I want to say '77, '78. It would be in '78, and um, this didn't. The marketing year didn't have till '83, uh, and I it started coming back to my mind a lot, and the more. Um, that I remembered of the other stuff, the more I thought of her. And then I, one time Bud was, had come out and we'd gone somewhere to meet someone uh, that had written him that also lived near where I lived. And uh, I went with him and I remember pulling back in the driveway and, and we were just kind of sitting there. He could tell I wanted to talk to him. And I remember looking at him and thinking, mm, I don't want to go here. And then finally I just blurted out, you know, um, I was pregnant once before and I lost it. And he looked at me like, okay, um, I'm sorry. You know, he said, I'm sorry, that's terrible or, you know, something like that. But I could tell on the look on his face, he's probably thinking, what does this have to do with anything? And why are you telling me this? Right. And, you know, and, and I told him, and then I start crying. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but for some reason I feel compelled to, and I feel that there is some kind of connection between that mark in the yard and my baby. 
he's like, whoa, you know, it kind of freaked him out. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of discussion over the next few months and, and into the next year or two about whether I would even consent to be have that added into the book, you know. But then right. Bud told me that he had been contacted by several other women who had had similar experiences with pregnancy and were had, had reacted the same way I did. I'm like, seriously? You know, and then it, it's turned into, over the last 28 years, I can, I'm telling you, trust me, I've, I've met hundreds and hundreds of women who have come up to me after a, a talk somewhere, uh, or even if I've just gone to listen to other people talk and have told me, similar things, stuff like this, you know. I, I don't know what it means. Um, I I don't know what it means. And uh, I just know, I just know what my gut tells me, that I know that pregnancy, that child of that pregnancy is somewhere, alive somewhere, out there. Did you meet her? Just, I, um, I have had several episodes through the years where I have encountered someone that I thought was her. And each time I did, it was like age progressed appropriately, you know, for, for I, like one time I think I saw her when she was, you know, a, a little kid. And then I thought year, several years later, uh, what age she should have been. I encountered somebody that looked like that, and that would have been the appropriate age. You know what I'm saying? She kind of went up to the years, and I'm thinking right now she should be 32, almost 33 years old maybe. My my oldest son is 31, and she was, uh, you know, a year or two before him, I think. Did, did uh, she ever acknowledge you as her mother when you've seen her? And and I, the only time you've seen her is on a craft or another dimension, right? No. Uh, one time I think I saw her in my apartment. Uh, not in my apartment, but I was in the kitchen of my apartment. And the apartment had a patio door, you know, big sliding glass door with a patio, concrete patio, and then a privacy fence around that. And the, the slats were big and wide. You could see when kids would run down the back between the buildings, you could see them, you know, running through there and uh, one day I was sitting in the kitchen and I looked up and I saw someone standing looking at me and I saw I, first I noticed the shoes were strange and the feet were small I'm like it's got to be a kid and uh, but they were dark and the whole outfit was dark all the way up to the head and she probably was I'm going to say maybe the size of a small 10, 12 13 year old something somewhere in that area you know what I mean right and I got to the to the face part she was fair and the hair was white but when I got to her eye it was weird because it seemed like when I looked in her eye that I could see the eye peering at me through the slap the eye seemed way bigger than I should have been able to see through the slap for some reason it was some kind of quick surreal moment, you know what I mean? It was weird, and I startled, and I instantly thought, "Oh, 
that's her. And I went to get up and go and find, you know, to see. And when I got, when I could get to see her, get out there, they disappeared, was gone. So, no, this was not in a craft or anything in any weird place. This was in my backyard. Um, And, yes, uh, I remember... um, I think I remember being, uh, it, it, the first time I saw this child who'd, who was maybe, I don't know, the size of a toddler. Did she have a she name? Wouldn't, she wouldn't look at me. Um, in the book, I can't remember what the, uh, I, Emily, I think is what he called her in the book, but I, I don't know why he felt compelled to give her a pseudonym, but he did. It, it, it was Elizabeth. Elizabeth, uh, okay. But, um, and she was a toddler. But, yeah, and she wouldn't look at me. I mean, and these things were behind her and kind of holding her up, you know, to, to bring her in. And she wouldn't look at me. It, it, it was like she was afraid to look at me. And I'm thinking, why are you being afraid of me? Look at them. I'd be afraid of looking at them. I don't know. It was just a weird dream. Did she look human? Like um, for the most part, she yeah. Big eyes? Larger than normal eyes, but... And wide and hair. Fair, fair and frail, but for the most part, yeah. So, As a matter of fact, I've seen kids. Uh, I have actually, you know, been shopping in the mall or whatever and seen kids that kind of look like her. I mean, not like... But you know what I'm saying... Thin, frail, fair complexed, real pale, uh, you know, big, large, blue eyes. Yeah, but, you know, not, doesn't look like those big headed gray things, no. Well, now, when, uh, you, uh, you said it was like they were bringing her to show her to you, Mm -hmm. um, like we want you to see her. Is that how it was? Uh, yeah. Well, what were the being? What did the beings look like that were bringing her? Were they holding her, bringing her to you? What did they look like? They were holding her hand. She was walking, uh, and they looked like the same couple of guys that came to my room when I first married my ex-husband and handed me that black box the the skinny short big-headed no hair big giant black liquidy eyes um the eyes were always the same they they were like um like liquid that were alive all on their own almost you know you know you could almost like fall into them like they, when they looked at you, they were looking inside of you, not just at you. You know what I mean? Right. Same, so why, why do you thing. think she was afraid to look at you? I don't know. Other than uh, something about the way I looked, I mean, I was kind of uh, startled. I was kind of taken aback, and my feelings were almost kind of hurt because I didn't know why she, why she wouldn't look at me. She acted like somebody that was. You know how a little kid, when you, you know, go take him to the circus and the big scary clown runs up to him with a 
pour right. and throw confetti on them, and, you know, they get a little freaked out, and they kind of hide behind you and kind of peer out at them. That's what she did to me, which, you know. I can see how that would be hurtful. Yeah, it was, because I felt that she was mine, and I wanted to take her with me, and I was told by these guys that I couldn't do that. So... You were told how? I don't know how. In my head, they told me that I couldn't take her with me. But you wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to grab her and hug her and hold her and take her and, you know, yeah, that wasn't going to (laughs) happen. Well, I know it all sounds, uh, trust me, I know how crazy this sounds. Well, uh, you know, and I've told people before that I've always referred to this part of what I remember as dreams because they, I remember them the way I do those every dreams, but I, um, and I can't explain it. I don't understand it, but it is what it is. Take it or leave it. Do you think that's the only child they've taken from you? Um, I've had, uh, other vivid dreams about, um, a boy that was very frail but not blonde. He was uh, darker skin and darker hair and dark eyes, but human-looking, just looked sickly and frail. But when I held this one, I I held this one as an infant. And the it, boy when he looked yes, and when he looked when I looked into his eyes. Now you remember now these are this was a dream that I had or whatever. When I looked into his eyes. It was as if he was wiser and older than I would ever be able to attain in multiple lives. I mean, when he looked at me and he, he looked at me with those eyes, this infant, and it was like he was telling me, this is good. And, uh, you know, uh, even his intelligence was beyond I, what I would ever be capable of. And it, just the act of holding him was giving him something, and he was aware of it and understood it where I didn't even. You know what I'm saying? Okay, now wait a second, Deb. (laughs) (laughs) You strongly preface that statement. Now, remember, this was a dream, but you've already told me that you can tell the difference between dreams and abductions because when it's just a normal dream, you can't remember it an hour later. And when it's right. induction, you remember it all throughout the day and on. Well, it comes back to me like a dream comes back to me, except it comes back to me in reverse. I mean, when I wake up, I can't remember. Uh, this, I knew, know something's happened, or I, you know, I know I had a dream about something, and then it comes back as the day goes on. It gets more vivid and stronger, and I remember more and more, whereas a, the normal dream... You see what I'm saying? I call those one kind of dream and then the normal dream. And I'm, I'm guessing, I'm thinking that possibly the reason I remember this dream, these dreams this way and normal dreams the other way where like an hour later I can't remember what I dream is because there's more to it than just it being a dream. But I have to keep my foot on the ground. I have to always 
be mindful that I, you know, it could be a dream. It could be a different kind of dream. I don't know. I, it feels real, and I, I think it, it's real. But this is how I, how the memories come back to me. Not in a hypnosis session, laying down with somebody talking to me. This is how I remember it. You know, I mean, this is how the memory comes back to me. But I call the memory a dream. Does that make sense at all? Kind of. <laughs> okay, that's the best I can do. I'm trying. <laughs> well, you know, because that's always confused me. Like I was telling you on the on the other show with Tom, is um, people that say they've been abducted. You know, they refer to it as a dream, and then I'm always like, um, "Well, how do you?" Why wasn't it just a dream then? How do you know? I don't understand that. But uh, it, yeah, it feels different. But yet, you, you know, we refer to them as dreams because I think that's uh, well, that's how I stay grounded and not let this stuff suck me away. You know, because that keeps to, it not real for you, and you they, don't want yeah, it to be real. You still don't want I, it to be real after all these years. I still don't, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around how this doesn't fit in this reality that we have here. But I am getting more and more open-minded about it because I'm, I'm, I'm beginning, I don't know, you know, I'm not having these physical experiences anymore, uh, as far as I know, but I'm having these little epiphanies and these little brain spurts, these little growths uh, of uh, my awareness and my, uh, it's like I'm waking up. I feel like I'm waking up here. After all these years, do you still feel that way? I still feel like, I still feel like I'm waking up, like like I'm having this uh, a new, like I'm getting a new fold in my brain all the time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Another yeah. little parcel of, of knowledge and and awareness and, and growth is spiritual growth or psychological growth or intellectual growth. It's, it's coming. It comes in little spurts. And even now, some 27, 28 years later, I still have these little epiphanies and these little uh, little moments where I get these little brief flashes of clarity. Uh, what do they call that, Nirvana or Kundalini, you know, where Mm -hmm. for just a moment it all makes sense and I understand it, but then I try to grasp at it, it gets just outside of my reach. So my brain is stretching, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm beginning to understand about, uh, like I said, you know, back in 83, we're we're talking about a UFO landing in in the yard and aliens coming out, but now in 2010, I'm thinking... Maybe that wasn't a UFO. Maybe those weren't aliens. Maybe they were some other life form that coexists right here with us on some different level or some other dimension. And uh, maybe that craft was uh, more like a, a, something uh, that facilitated uh, passage between this dimension and that one. Maybe it's a time machine. Maybe those guys are from our future. I mean, see, this is where my mind is expanding. And I'm beginning to open up to more possibilities, and you know, and and as far as my dreams go, 
maybe I was um, interacting with another. Uh, maybe that's how I was able to interact with another dimension in this altered state that I felt were a dream. You know, I don't know. But I don't know either. It's all so complicated. I know it's been hard on you. Um, I I know you know the trials that this has put forth for you. But we've yeah, got well, about we've got about four minutes left, Deb. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you can share something with us that you haven't shared before. I haven't shared before. Jeez, I don't know. I'm pretty much I'm pretty much an open book when it comes to <laughs> to my life. I mean, there's a ton of stuff I haven't talked about. Well, let's hear one of those, something that you haven't talked about. Well, I mean, about my experiences? Yeah. Or what I do now? Whatever whatever you want to talk about. We've got four minutes. Go. God. Okay, well, (laughs) thanks for the pressure. Uh, So many things pop in my head all at once. God, I don't know. Uh... Well, I know you've had some paranormal type ghost type experiences, and things went on in uh, your mom's house, and when they moved, that you felt like you weren't welcome there. You know what? The people that have moved into my mom and dad's house now—that yeah. my parents have passed away—I had the opportunity to speak to them not too long ago, or speak to them through someone who is a mutual friend, and they have absolutely nothing that happens in that house. So it's calm, quiet, lovely. They love it. Nothing weird happens there. I'm like, so there's your sign. You know? <laughs> the, 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 the phenomenon follows the people. It's not that place. It was us. It was my family. It was me. Oh. Why was your family chosen? Um, I don't know. It, I think it began... Uh, generations before I came along. My mother reports anomalous experiences as a teenager. My father had uh, some strange paranormal experiences when he was a kid. I think that I just got born to the right people at the right time or the wrong people at the right time, depending on your perspective on the whole thing. Well, now, in the book, in your book, uh, your sister Kathy mm-hmm. uh she said that they wanted to rearrange your face, but she said she was kidding when you went public. Oh, my God. She's mad as hell at me. She's going to beat my... <laughs> she She's like, what are you telling about my stuff for? You keep your own business and tell them your own. I'm like, but it's happened, and it was weird. She's like, what? She goes, oh, my God, she was mad as hell at me. She's over that now, I think. And she's your older sister, right? Right. And um, it's something's been going on with your family for a long time. And it's not I just UFO so. stuff. No. No, it's not. Uh, a lot of paranormal stuff, psychic stuff. I mean, uh, my little sister actually reads tarot cards and does spirit drawings. And my older sister uh, does uh, psychic uh, stuff, tarot cards. I... I can't even figure them out. Forget it. I don't even try. But I could do other things. You know, when I was a kid, I used to be able to bend brass handles by rubbing on them. Yeah, that sounds weird. I know. 
But, well, you know, I thought everybody could do that. I didn't know that people couldn't do it until I went to school and started talking about it, and they all looked at me like, okay. Does so, that lead you, know. you to believe that the UFO, spirit world, ghost, or whatever are sort of all linked together? Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's why I got involved with paranormal investigations, too. I'm looking for that common denominator. So far, the only thing I've come up with is the actual experiencer themselves. It seems that people who are open or prone to paranormal experiences are also more prone to or open to UFO experiences. Don't know why yet. I'm still figuring that out. It is. Uh, you know, you're not the only one that feels that way. Uh, Nancy Talbot also feels that way, that it's all a mixture somehow. But with that, I am being told that we are out of time. And, Deb, I just want to say how much that I appreciate you coming on my show. I'm glad we didn't. Uh, we finally get, got it all done. Yeah, we did. We didn't get a, uh, a dropped call or anything. So we did How really good. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, I always love that deal you have on your Skype thing about uh, normal is just a setting on your dryer. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I got another one that says, all of you people out there who believe in psychokinesis, raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and with that, we're out of here until next Friday night. Uh, you've been listening to the Joiner Report on WPRN FM New Orleans. Thank you very much. Good night.
Are you interested in a radio program that focuses on the deeper aspects of the UFO topic? Would you like to explore the facts and truths of what ufology and UFO research are all about? Then, join us here every Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network for Eye to the Sky, the UFO Synopsis, with your host, E. Andrew. program that looks at the UFO topic from a fresh perspective. Sound interesting? Then join us here on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network every Friday evening at 11 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central 4, to join a report hosted by journalist and researcher Angela Joyner.